that lightning struck the pulpit. And because of it, revival broke out. So I didn't see any lightning, but I don't actually know how to adjust this. Before I forget, my name is Tim. (laughs) And I do this kind of stuff all the time. Um, One thing I, I don't want you to forget is that the reason why this church exists is we are a church, no matter what culture, what background you come from, we want you to feel welcome here among us and to know that God loves you. So especially if you're visiting here today for the first time or even joining us online for the first time or sitting in platinum for the first time, we welcome you. God loves you and he welcomes you among us today. Hey, we've been in pretty heavy territory the last uh, few weeks. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on the side of the mountain teaching on some pretty heavy stuff, right? Anybody that's been a part of these sermons? Yeah. Lust. Whoa. Okay. Wow. Adultery. Uh, Divorce next week. We talked about hatred. But today, I believe, is going to be the heaviest of them all. And this is what I want to say. That when we read the word of God and we see things that are just sort of countercultural, sort of uncomfortable, there's a good chance that if we lean into that and and cause and 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 ask for that to shape our life, that it actually has the greatest effect. And I believe today is one of those things. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. It's crazy to think that we can read this in about 30 seconds but it takes a lifetime to live out, doesn't it? Let's read it together. Follow with me. This is Matthew chapter five, verse 43 and following. You have said, you have heard, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Love your enemy. That is weighty. And as soon as we hear this or read this today, probably there's some of us that will be tempted to go, you know what? I don't really think this applies to me. Or just, I hate this verse, let's get on, okay? This will be a sermon that just sort of goes over your head. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and see this teaching afresh today. May God shape us with it. Would you bow your head and pray with me? <clears throat> Father, this, this teaching is so radical here today, but we believe, Lord, just as it's so radical and it's so uncomfortable to our flesh, it's made of the spirit that it can not only change our lives, but our families and our communities. I I believe, God, that this is the secret sauce that brings change in the world. Speaking of your kingdom, 
So Lord, open up our hearts to your word and let your word settle deep within our bones today as we ask ourselves, who are our enemies? What are we to do with our enemies? And why should we take your word serious and take it to heart today, God? So let these words shape us today for your glory and for your kingdom's sake that it would spread, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. How does living for Jesus shape life with our enemies? How does living for Jesus shape our life, shape life with our enemies? Let's read again verse 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Real fast here. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, the scriptures never say hate your enemy. And I'm glad it's written like that. I'm glad it's recorded because it's recorded as you have heard that it was said, not that it is written to hate your enemy. You will never find an account in the scriptures that Jesus is is telling his children to hate their enemy. We all have enemies. I was thinking as I'm going deeper in the scripture, just meditating, praying about what to say. I'm thinking of different stories, different. I mean, I've got lots of stories of enemies and stuff. and, And I remember early on, Early on in my faith, when I was just fresh, when God called me out of darkness and put me in his most marvelous light, he changed, he changed my life, and I wanted to tell people about Jesus over and over. It took me a while. It took me a couple weeks. This is how, uh, this is, I'm not very smart, so it takes me a while to memorize scripture, but I'd memorize John 3, 16, and I remember using that verse in one of my first jobs as a waiter at a restaurant, and I would share John 3.16, and I would share my story with people. And, and if you're sitting in my section of the restaurant, and you had your mouth full of food, <laughs> guess what? You were a captive audience. <laughs> and you know what? Interestingly enough, people just started, started coming back more and more because they wanted to be encouraged with the word. They wanted to be prayed for. And I, to my surprise, my boss did not like that. And he didn't like me. He did not like me sharing. In fact, the more it seemed like joy was increasing in my life, the more angry and mad he got with me. And in fact, he would look for ways to humiliate me and mock me and tear me down in front of other people. And the culmination of that happened one night at this restaurant it's towards the end. And I've got a, I, I've got a full section and I've got a, I'm carrying a uh, a, um, a what? Yeah, thank you. Oh, this is great, man. You want to preach? <laughs> I got a tray of food and, and drinks, and I'm coming around the corner, and this guy gets so upset with me. He looks at me. I'm smiling because I had that Jesus smile. Before, I would frown all the time. I didn't want to smile, but God has changed my life, and now it's easier for me to smile which science says that it's actually easier to smile than frown, by the way. Anyway, this guy comes around the corner and sees me, and I'm just smiling at him. He gets so mad, he throws me against the wall. No joke, no joke my boss. And then the, the drink and the food, they all went all over me. 
And so I wore that shirt and that outfit all night just thinking about that. And, and these words of Jesus that are early in my faith are like, oh my gosh, they're so countercultural to what I feel or what I've been trained or even what I see in people's lives. Love your enemies? Really? Love your enemies? We all have enemies. Having enemies is actually part of living in this fallen, broken world. Enemies is simply this, someone that you are in opposition with. Your enemy is someone who, des- who desires harm to you, not your good. Enemies might be a lifelong person in your life or a community in your life, or the fact is it could have happened this morning on your way to church. I mean, sometimes I feel like I've got an enemy when they're crossing the street in front of me. You know, those people that just like, you know, you're, you've got people back behind you and you stop because you're trying to be nice and they just sort of, instead of going a little bit faster, they slow down like, (laughs) one time, one time this guy met me at at a stoplight. It was a sunny day and I didn't have my sunglasses on and I look over and this guy's going, (laughs) and I, I knew what he was saying was not nice and can't be repeated today. And then I looked in my rearview mirror and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm looking like this. <laughs> so when I looked at him, I looked like this because of the sun and he looked back at me and I'm looking at him and it's, and it's on. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what the deal is, but there are plenty of opportunities in our life all the time, big and small times that make enemies in our life. Enemies, lifelong or even today. Lord, help us if we go home from this sermon though, right? Okay? But Jesus' assumption here is that we all have enemies, especially as followers of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 reminds us, in fact, that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, what? Persecuted. And you know, just a little side note, throw this in. There are more people that are, that are being persecuted today than in Jesus' day. There are more people that are dying for their faith today than in Jesus' day. Isn't that an amazing thought? I mean, the real severe stuff, not like getting a tray of food, you know, dumped on you. People that are being put in prison. Some you may even know. In a congregation like this, I'm sure we do know some. Put in prison or even dying for their faith. And then, you know, and then so when I'm looking at verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I wish sort of we could just park it right there, just sort of stop right there. Yeah, hate your enemy. That sounds right. Because revenge and hate come so easy. We hate people who are against us. We want to beat our enemy down and we want to stand over them in victory. I mean, I love it even if I think about the movies that I love, right? Oh, I love Western movies. I love, you know, the scene where they they go out into the middle of the town and the tumbleweed's falling through and it's like, you know, and they're getting ready to sling their guns and shoot each other, you know. And I love Clint Eastwood, and I love some of those movies that I won't repeat because I didn't really watch them. I was told by somebody else, you know. 
But I love that one where he goes, go ahead, punk, make my day. And he did. But we love, right? And, and, you know, and, and here's the crazy thing. Sometimes I'm like, what, what are, I'm a pastor. I feel like sometimes I'm entertained by the very things that Jesus died for. When I read this, I'm like, love your enemies. Jesus is here. You know, he's so different. His words are so beautiful. He's not like us. That's what makes him God. And he says the righteous way to treat our enemies is the most radical way. And when you see something radical in the scriptures, if we sort of can climb into that, it'll change our life. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about he's the king and this is what the kingdom looks like. Verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Now I'm praying and I've been praying that even as we're sharing this word today, big or small, that somebody, you know, our enemies would be, uh, some, some people that we have problem with or that have a problem with us would come to light in this meeting so that we have an opportunity to step in to these kingdom words. Instead of hate, Jesus' followers are to love and not just love, but to pray, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. We love to fight. We love to fight our enemies. We love to curse our enemies. We love to judge our enemies. But Jesus says to pray for our enemies. And I'm telling you, this thing works. This equation works. If you have a problem with somebody in your life, start to pray for them. Oh, take that attitude to the Lord and see what happens. He'll mess around with you. You'll start developing a heart for them. That's how it works. We have no power in ourselves, but as we go to God and bring our enemies before God, he helps us to see them the way he sees them, lost. Verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. Not that, we be, not that we might become children of our Father in heaven, but that we might act like our Father in heaven. So as we, we've been sharing on lust and adultery and divorce and hatred and all these things, it's important to understand this. Out of all of these things, these are not new laws about how to get to heaven about how to have a relationship with God, about how to be saved or born again. We, have, we only enter a relationship with God through trusting in what he has done for us, not what we do for him. These are not laws of how to become God's children, but teachings that inform us what it looks like to live, to live as God's children. You know, a lot of people, even of other religions, believe about Jesus. And some of us believe in Jesus, meaning we believe what he's done for us. So that's salvation, right? We believe that he took our sins and our shame on the cross and gave us new life. That's believing in Jesus and what his finished work on the cross did. But Jesus and his idea of kingdom and what he wants to do in our hearts is not just believe about him and not even just believe in him, 
but start to believe like him. That's the work of sanctification. That's the work of holiness. That's how his kingdom spreads. That's how things change in our life. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, evil and good, and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. You ever feel like God only gives you good things when you're good or or maybe he gives you bad things when you're bad? That's not the character of God. God is consistent. In fact, he's withholding judgment. There's common grace in the world today that anybody can turn and follow Jesus and accept this free gift of eternal life. So God doesn't give us what we deserve. If we did, we would all deserve Hell, because in us is a defiance and a rebellion against God. And as a pastor, I always get, well, if God's so good and so loving, then why do these bad things happen? And really, the framework, I know it's hard. I, man, I'm so moved when I see the destruction, that wars and calamities and um, tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes it, 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 it grieves my heart, and I believe it grieves God's heart. But if you look at it as perspective from God, it is amazing. It is amazing that we don't see a lot worse in the world. And it's because his goodness is reigning on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes his son to rise on the good and the evil. God is holding out judgment. Psalm 145, verse eight through nine says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. That's his nature. There is a judgment coming. And in Matthew uh, 25, verse 46, it talks about those that defy God's laws and turn from him, that, that there's actually eternal punishment waiting. Hell is a real place. There's a song that uh, hell ain't a bad place to be. They, they have no idea what hell is. Hell is separation from God. Even as common grace right now, to a, to a degree, none of us are separated from God, but one day, one day, those that don't turn to God and follow him are destined for eternal punishment for eternity. So my heart feels the weight of that. That's why I love to share about Jesus with everyone. And that's why we need to share about Jesus with everyone. And then, then the other part of my heart says, I'm looking forward to Judgment Day because Judgment Day for us as believers and followers of Jesus is not about heaven or hell. It's actually about reward. And we don't talk about that very much, but God is going to reward you for your faithfulness. Many of you are doing the works of God, but not rewarded here on earth. Guess what? In heaven, it's a better reward than you can get here. And, I, and, and, and it sounds sort of selfish, but I want as many rewards as I can. I want my crown to be full. I want it to be heavy. Why? Not for me, but so I can throw it at the feet of Jesus. All honor and glory due to him. 
So there's a day of judgment coming and there's a day of reward. You know, God and his love that, that he's trying to spread through his kingdom and through his good news is not just a feeling. It's, it's more than a feeling. It's an action. And, it, and just in the simplest of the verses, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave. We see that. His love equaled action. It took him to the cross. His love equaled action. It, it led to his self-denial of himself for the greater good. You know, at the cross, it was the worst of man met the best of God, and it's still there for anyone that would believe. But in these scriptures, the heavenly father is like, you know, I'm like this. Jesus, Jesus and the father are one. I don't know why I got that messed up one time. Early on, I was thinking the father is like this, you know, strict father that waiting for you to mess up because that was my father. And Jesus was like the superhero that came in and said, oh, no, God, don't don't send your wrath. I'll die for it. That's not true theology. The heart of Jesus and the heart of the Father and the heart of the Holy Spirit are one. God, Jesus didn't do anything that he didn't see the Father doing. He was the posture of the Father. And so the Father, through Jesus, demonstrated his love for us while we were still what? Sinners, which is enemies. We were enemies of God. And he went to the cross and he died. And that love, that agape, that God love, that word agape, it can, be, it can be interjected for love. God so loved. God, love, God agapes. That word agape means totally sacrificial, gracious, and seeking the benefit not of ourselves, but of the other. Agape. And Jesus' point here is that the heavenly father is like this. He's gracious. He's loving, he's slow to anger, he's, he's long-suffering, he's compassionate, he's rich in love. Then what must his children be like? What must his children be like? How then shall we live? And just as God is loving to all, God's children are to be loving to all, even our enemies. I told you this is heavy, but it's real. And it's not done in our strength. It's done in the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Because he is the king, we have no right in his kingdom to view or treat people differently. So I just think this is one of the most radical teachings in the whole Bible. And it's something that I, I see very little of in the world. If you hurt me, I want to hurt you. If you hurt somebody I love, I want to hurt you. If your country does something to my country, I, my country wants to do something. We're, we're just not given that example. But when it shows up in people's lives, we recognize it. And I will tell you, even in Hollywood, you know, you like a good boxing match, you know, one country wins over another country, you know, revenge, war, da, 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 da. But when somebody does this, like an undeserving favor, love towards their enemy, it speaks even higher. And when we've done that in Hollywood, it's actually got recognition. It's radical. It's uncomfortable. God's kingdom is just sort of, it's like not messed up. What's the word? It's upside down. And actually, it's not upside down. It's, it's right side up. Actually, God's kingdom 
is more real than the world we're living in right now. We're living in a battle, but we're living out a love story. And we win. Verse 46, listen to this. If you love those who love you, what reward are you gonna get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. God's kingdom is so different and he wants us, he wants his children to experience that, to model that. But we can't unless we have a relationship with him. Not a relationship with a religion called Christianity, but a relationship with Jesus. Because what you are committed to is what you will look like. If I'm committed to, I don't know, what's the sport? Rugby. Rugby, those guys all, to me, sort of look alike. They're big, husky guys, usually missing a tooth, you know? (laughs) These are man's men, you know? If I'm committed to being a rugby player, my hands are not gonna be as soft as they are right now. I'm gonna gain muscles in my neck, right? If I'm committed to being a religious person, I will look religious, self-righteous, and I can look down on you. I literally can't because I'm on the stage. (laughs) But if, if I'm committed to Jesus, and I start to look like Jesus, that's what the world needs. The world doesn't need another religion. Jesus didn't come to set up and be the CEO of Christianity. He came to set a way forward. And knowing him will do that. Loving those who hate you means stuff like serving them, expecting nothing in return. See, in God's kingdom, stuff like this, the poorest seem to be the dearest to God's heart. Imagine that. We want to be rich and successful. The heart of God is seemingly tilted towards the poor. Suffering seems to be the most revered. Humility and mercy mean more than spirituality. His kingdom calls us to have the faith of a mature adult. No, of a child. Like these words are always messing with me. His kingdom calls us to love him in such a way that our love for our family pales in comparison. You get that? I mean, not that he's saying don't love your wife, don't love your husband, don't love your kids, don't love your brothers and sisters. He's not saying that. But he, he is jealous for more of your love and actually loving him more than anybody else you will learn how to love them even better. That's amazing. Like if we bank our lives on his truth, it blesses us and it blesses our families and our communities in ways that we can't see sometimes. Ways where this does, it feels uncomfortable. In his kingdom, confessing our, imagine this, confessing our weakness is a sign of strength. That's countercultural. Leaving things behind now means we will gain more in the future. The king and his kingdom is in pursuit of sinners, not self righteous people. 
If we look down on people that don't have it together, that's not God. He's on hot pursuit. He'll leave the 99 of us and go after the lost, the one, the one. He's calling us to look different, not to operate like natural people. Because why? Because his kingdom is supernatural. He's a supernatural God. But we won't get it if we don't know him. And we won't know him if we don't read his word. And when in those areas where it is uncomfortable and we don't get it, we say, God, mess with me till this becomes part of who I am. Because I want your heart more than my flesh to rule my life. He's perfect. And he's calling, in, he's calling us into him and his perfection, not our perfection, but his perfection. Be perfect, verse 48. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And this word perfect, I'm gonna tell you the first time I read that, I'm like, I'm, I'm closing this thing. I give up. As I know even today, I will not be perfect in the way Jesus was. But really, if you study this word out, it is a progression of maturity, of completion. And also, it's a position that literally we all have in Christ. We are perfect. Because suddenly now, we are being seen through different lenses, through rose-colored glasses, the blood of Jesus, our identity is who God says I am, not who I say I am or what my behavior is. And the more that I understand of who he is, the more things slip off of me and the more I become like Jesus. And that is what he wants to see in our life. So the word perfect has more to do with maturing and being made complete. So it's a helpful to remember that that we put our trust in Jesus, there's a sense that we are complete now and will be complete, completely complete. Completely complete. God is at work in us and Jesus is inviting us to pursue these teachings and to mature in them, to pursue completion, to pursue perfection just as our heavenly father is perfect. Loving like God loves is what it means to be fully human. It's a vision of what we were created for and what one day that we will fully experience. Imagine this. And this is a crazy thing. You know, we're talking about something. I'm, I'm talking about something that literally I could experience tomorrow. Heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in heaven, so this kingdom here on the earth is working on being established, will one day be established. So we're like, we're practicing for eternity. And in eternity, not only there'll be no adultery committed, but not even lust in people's hearts. Those who struggle with that are saying, amen. <laughs> it's okay, I already know you do. Not only no murder among people, but no hate, no animosity, only love. Can you imagine? I do think that there's a saying that people are too heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I think we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. 
I think it's good to dwell on heaven and ask God for more of it here in my heart now. It's a picture of true love, agape, loving, agape relationships between all people. And you may be thinking, well, what if, I mean, I know there's bad stories. What if the person, what if your enemy is an abuser? What if the person has, has, has threatened to seriously hurt you or even kill you? What, what do you do in those situations? What if your enemy has abused someone you love? I wanna be clear. Love does not mean putting yourself or others in a dangerous or abusive or harmful situation. It's about seeking what God wants for that person which is for them to embrace God's love. So the question for us here today, the question that will guide us and can guide us always is what is the loving thing to do? You know what the loving thing to do for a person that's abusing somebody? Put him in jail, okay? That's justice, right? That's a loving way of justice. But God is saying, don't have hatred in your heart. Let me deal with that hatred. Let me deal. I have the power to turn your hate into love and justice still may need to happen, right? God has ordained justice, but he's, caught, he's telling us our hearts, even in the midst of justice, need to be different. I remember seeing this scene, of, I think it was Joan of Arc, of, of there was this battle scene and, and her soldiers went in and they were, they were, uh, they were t- stealing the stuff off of the, the dead bodies and stuff. And she came in on the scene and she, she started weeping. She said, what are you doing? You guys are glorying and killing people. And she's saying it with tears. We, I don't glory in this. We shouldn't glory in this. We have to do this. And I think, that's what it looks like. Sometimes justice doesn't look good for our enemy. But what is the heart behind it? It always needs to be love if you're a follower of Jesus. Love your enemies. That's how we will show we are different from the world. It's radical, isn't it? It was shocking to Jesus' audience, just like it's shocking to us today. And I've been dealing with this passage all week, and it just seems to get heavier and more beautiful at the same time. But there's two truths, two vital truths to remember if we're going to live this out, loving our enemies. And this first truth is this. No person is a greater enemy to us than we are to God. No person is a greater enemy to us than we are to God. And if you get that right, it will help you love your enemy because we are all enemies. Without Jesus, we are God's enemy, full stop. Every sinful thought, action, word is an act of rebellion against God. And until we surrender to him and make him the Lord of our life, we are his enemy. And everything that we do, without faith in Christ for God is worthless. It's all gonna burn in the end. Have you received that forgiveness? Have you let him take the shame? He paid for it, you know that. Are you resting in it? Romans 5.8 says, he reconciled us to himself through his death and saved us. And, and now since we've experienced this and have the spirit living in us, we can choose to follow his ways, leaning on him. So no person is a greater enemy to us than we are to God. The second truth 
No person is truly our enemy. No person is truly our enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your kids are not your enemy. Your neighbor is not your enemy. The person who cut me off this morning is not my enemy. Your employer that is treating you unfairly is not your enemy. The other tribe, the other country that is in opposition to you and yours is not your enemy. There is an enemy behind our enemy. And that's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, that's people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is Satan and his dominion. We are in a battle. And there's enemy, the enemy, there's an enemy behind who you think they're, there's an enemy behind who you think is your enemy. And if we recognize that, we can pray accordingly to that. We can actually have compassion because people are the way they are to you for a reason. What did the enemy do in this person's life to make you their enemy? You get my point. (laughs) God's love for his enemies will enable us to love our enemies. God's love for his enemies will enable us to love our enemies. I want to tell you the second half of that story I started being at that restaurant waiting tables. I'm serving, you know, and Russ is his name. My manager was Russ, and he hated me. And one night I'm cleaning up. I'm mopping the floors. We're getting ready to close, and he yells, Maxon, get in here! Actually, there was a little bit of a, like a more of a cry. It was louder and more, you know, it's just hard. I thought, well, this is it. This is it. He's going to fire me. I knew it was going to come any day now. And, and so I walked up to his office, and it was in a crack. I said, uh, Russ, he said, open the door, please. And I opened the door, and I'm not exaggerating, not exaggerating. He fell to my feet. He fell to my feet, and he began to weep right in front of me. Men don't like to do that. And he said, I need what you have. I want what you have. And I've been praying with that Jesus cheesy smile. I've been praying for this guy. He was my enemy. I didn't look forward to running into him, but I knew God was dealing with my heart. And when he's dealing with our heart towards our enemies, action can happen, and action was happening. And by the way, I was responding to him was actually irritating his flesh, but opening his spirit. So when we see these scriptures that are so radical and so powerful, there's a reason that it's uncomfortable for us. And if we step into it, we can see things really change. So we don't just look over this stuff. We think, I think, you know, even as I'm talking today, did somebody come to mind? Did a name come to mind? Did a face come to mind? And even if they didn't, I guarantee you this week we will have the opportunity to obey what you heard today. And how do you do it? Be kind to your enemy. Be kind to your enemy. Pray for your enemy. And watch God show up. 
And you know what? Even if it doesn't work out the way you did, something's showing up in your life because the power of your enemy in your life has been taken away and stripped because the devil is chained. God is the one that's loose, is free, and wants us to experience his freedom. So bow your head with me right now. I wanna just give you a visual here. By the way, that was a success story. I have many failures. I definitely do not want you all to think I'm holier than I am. But I do know that it's like stories like this in my life that help me engage those kingdom principles the next time they come around. And so I share that story to encourage you that I know that you have stories too. But as you got your head bowed, I, I'm just asking the Lord to give you a picture of him on the cross and picture the crown of thorns and the blood running down his beard and his nails pierced, his, his hands nailed, his side pierced, his feet nailed. And, 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 and on each side is a thief. And each side is actually where we're supposed to be. We deserve death. And God has brought us life in him. And he wants his children to act like him. And so from the cross... He utters these words that amaze me through the pain. And it's just a type of pain and separation that we can't even see in Hollywood movies. His friends, his, his, his family. The Roman, centurion, the Roman centurion of the day was not the one who nailed him. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And, 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 at the, and then the, the climax, he's looking at us and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Lord, as we see you, help us live like you, not just believe about you, not just believe in you, but have this mind formed in us, the mind of Christ, to see your kingdom advance and to see it go through us to a lost world around us. Help us with your strength and your strength alone to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. For your glory and your kingdom advancement in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you.